Hello and welcome to the TLDR Show, a podcast where I distill the knowledge of books just for you. I'm your host Abdurrahman and I'm very excited to have you with me. For today's episode, we come to the finale of our series on creativity. In the last episode, we covered Show Your Work by Austin Kleon. We learned about why we should share our work and the Eight Commandments. Today, we come to where we will set sail and start our journey beyond our horizons. Without further ado, let's dive into our final book, Keep Going, subtitled 10 Ways to Stay Creative in Good Times and Bad by Austin Kleon. Let's start by introducing our author. Austin Kleon is a writer who draws. He makes art with words and books with pictures. He's the author of the best-selling books, Newspaper Blackout, and our lovely trilogy of Still Like an Artist. You can find a number of his talks at TEDx, Google, South by Southwest, and Pixar on YouTube. You can also find him on Twitter at Austin Kleon and on his website, austincleon.com. Keep Going is the final book in our lovely trilogy and series. As always, this was mainly written for writers and artists, but the lessons do apply across the board. Whether you are a student, engineer, doctor, or in any profession, there is some valuable lessons you can get from here. The book is divided between the 10 tips to keep you going, in the good times and the bad ones. Let's get to them. Now, our first tip is to understand that The journey isn't linear. Just like Sisyphus from Greek mythology, who is destined to keep pushing a boulder up a hill for eternity, our lives sometimes feel like pushing a rock up a mountain. Some days, waking up is easy and the rock is light. Other days, you question your whole existence just to pull yourself out of the bed. But we already know this. We talked in The War of Art in episode 6 about how resistance is eternal. And even after knowing it and winning few battles, the war is never over. So our first tip to keep going is to control the smallest unit of time, the day. Controlling these 24 hours is the way to go. So how do you take control of your day? Here are four steps. The first is to control your morning. We have all been guilty of starting our day by having a quick look at the phone. When I say quick... I mean 30 to 50 minutes. Your mileage may vary. However, none of us wants anything to do with the news, notifications, emails, or messages first thing in the morning. So if possible, put your phone away from the bed or resist the temptation for like 30 minutes at least. Start your day with a cold shower, hot coffee, stretching, listening to music, or maybe head to your bliss station, which we will see later. The point is, The last thing you want is to start your day upset, freaked out, or angry at the world. On the same note, airplane mode can be magical. Use it in your mornings. It will do you miracles. The second step to controlling your day is to establish a daily routine. In the book Daily Rituals by Mason Carey, which we mentioned in episode 5 of Persuasion, he discussed the daily routines of famous people throughout history. As Austin says, Reading it is like visiting a human zoo. You will see how Beethoven, for example, would pour large amounts of water on his hands while humming loudly, 
Then he would walk around the room with staring eyes and write something down. Then repeat the whole process. Or a more normal routine of Haruki Marukami, the famous Japanese author. He wakes up at 4 a.m., works for 5 to 6 hours straight, runs or swims, do daily stuff, and bedtime by 9. Give the book a read. You will find some great examples in it. And trust me, it will feel like a human zoo. Now, having a routine denies the chance for chaos or mood swings to ruin your day. In the war of art, there was an example of Somerset Muam, the famous English playwright and the novelist of the 1930s. Someone asked him whether he writes on a schedule or when struck by inspiration. His reply was, I write only when inspiration strikes. Fortunately, it strikes every morning at 9 o'clock sharp. Another way that having a routine helps you is by conditioning you to perform whenever you do it. We talked about the power of conditioning in our first series of books on human nature. If you haven't listened to them, give them a listen. So, how do you come up with your weird daily ritual? For a starter, you can't just copy someone else. It must be yours. So, observe yourself. Which time of the day do you work best at? What lifts your energy? Is it music, food, a cold shower, or maybe running around? Do you have any silly superstitions that use the placebo effect? For example, using a special guitar pick when you write new music, or having a special notebook for generating ideas. Whatever you decide to do, make sure to have a routine that's uniquely yours. Our third step for controlling your day is to make lists. Having lists keeps your mind at ease of what's completed, what are you working on now, and what's needed to be done. Your list can be as simple as a to-do list or pros versus cons, or a more complicated ones such as the Eisenhower matrix of priority or the getting things done GTD system of David Allen. Your list shouldn't only be limited to tasks. Have one for your bucket list, dream items, activities that make you happy, interesting links, or books that you want to read, etc. Now that you have established your ultimate routine and made a list for every little thing, the final step to control your day is to accept the fact that some days are just gonna be bad. Here, you need to remember a few things. One, you are a professional stoic. So, you only control your thoughts, actions, and reactions. Two, be a little forgiving towards yourself. As Ralph Waldo, the American novelist and philosopher said, finish every day and be done with it. You have done what you could. Some blunders and absurdities, no doubt, crept in. Forget them as soon as you can. Tomorrow is a new day. You shall begin it well and serenely, with too high of a spirit to be cumbered with your old nonsense. Now, our second tip to keep going is to have a bliss station. This idea comes from the book The Power of Myth by Joseph Campbell, the American literature professor and the author of The Hero with a Thousand Faces. A bliss station is a place or a certain time of the day where you just disconnect from the world. It's when you are in solitude and only focus on yourself and the work. In a way, it's your own sacred shrine. The perfect combo is to have both a special room and time, but either of them is sufficient. If you're living in a small space, you can have a corner or a spot. If you're working most of the day or have kids, 
choose an hour early or late in the day. Personalize your bliss station as much as you can. Remember our geography of persuasion from persuasion. Have pictures and quotes hanged around if you want. Remember our creative process tips from Steal Like an Artist. Have your analog tools around you, the physical calendar, and your side projects. And definitely, leave your phone out of your bliss station. There is a quote in the book by Linda Barry, the American cartoonist and author. She said, The phone gives us a lot, but it takes away three key elements of discovery. Loneliness, uncertainty, and boredom. Those have always been where creative ideas come from. So, keep this in mind. Now, the third tip is to forget the noun and do the verb. The noun here is the title, like being an artist or a creative. The thing is, sometimes we focus too much on meeting our expectation of the title that we don't do the work. If your title is a creative artist, you may waste your time ensuring that you fit the title by wearing designer eyeglasses, using a MacBook Pro, and following outlandish fashion. I know I'm using the stereotype here, but the point is the same. Be yourself and don't let the title influence who you are. Another thing about the title is that it can cage you into a specific mold. I remember I was talking to a friend and I suggested he pick up painting or music playing. His response was that he is an engineer and creative hobbies aren't for him. The thing is, creativity is just a tool. It can be used in everything, from painting the Mona Lisa to making an exquisite late-night bowl of noodles. At the end of the day, the titles are for the others, and the work is for you. So be free and do whatever you like. This brings us to looking at work as a play, and enjoying it with a child's spirit. If you have seen children play with building blocks, they would be building something, break it down, building a different thing again, breaking it down, and then stopping in the middle, and moving on to something else. They don't care about the end result. All they care about is the process, and they enjoy it to the fullest. The point of playing like a child is that sometimes we get too serious with the work, that it becomes just like a chore for us. We forget the flame that sparked it at the beginning. If you like taking photographs and you want to reignite your spark, try taking some pictures just for the sake of it. Look at them, then delete them. Heck, if you print them, you can even burn them. Another way is to try to do your worst. Take the ugliest pictures. Don't care about lighting, rule of thirds, composition or balance. Just take ugly ones, have a laugh at them and delete them. Now, the fourth tip is to make gifts. Here, Austin calls for us to think of our work as giving gifts. This includes few things. One, you shouldn't care about the numbers. I'm guilty of this one and I try my hardest not to check the number of listens, likes, shares, etc. I'm currently writing this, and the first episode had been out for about 5 days, and the listening had almost stopped. When I checked in the morning, I got to admit, it stung for a bit, but I finally managed to push it aside and focus on the work. This idea can be expanded to any type of work. In any project, after submitting a task that you felt was outstanding, Sometimes nothing happens, like at all. You may get a generic thank you, and that's it. All your glamorous imagination of the praise you would have received just evaporates, 
and you're left with a broken imagination. So, instead, what we should do is, as always, be stoic. Also remember from the war of art, how resistance can come by relying on outside support. What you should do is to focus on what really matters. Ask yourself, was the end product good? What did you learn? Any mistakes to be avoided? And if it's something you love, you should check what it did to your soul. So to keep going, stop caring about the numbers and outside support. See your work as a gift to everyone else. Now, our next tip is the following formula. The ordinary plus extra attention equals the extraordinary. Let's address each variable separately. The ordinary part is the mundane and usual things around us. The idea here is that we can use everything around us as a feed for our work. You don't need to go to the mountains to get inspired, or need special pens and paper to get you start drawing, or a fancy MacBook to edit your work. You have everything you need. This part applies to people who are just beginning and the ones who need to keep going. They both use the limitation of resources as a barrier for not starting or growing. The starting ones are usually deterred by the need to have specific tools to even start. But that's like saying, I won't start to learn swimming till I buy that $300 swimming shorts, that $100 Googles, and practice in an Olympic pool. For the ones who have already been working for a while, this gives them a barrier to grow. We would think that if you move to a bigger city, or a new apartment, or maybe having an actual recording studio instead of my recording card box, would make me the next Joe Rogan. But in reality, it won't. Using what you already have is the way to go. And remember, the obstacle is the way. On a very unrelated side note, there is a YouTube channel named Ordinary Things, where the ordinary guy discusses the history behind ordinary stuff around us. I'll link to it in the show notes. Now, let's go back to our equation and check our second variable, extra attention. We had a whole book about attention and how important it is in persuasion, episode 5. Paying extra attention is divided between two areas. One, pay extra attention to the outside world. Try to think and let your mind wander at a wall, the tree across the street, or the bus handle as it moves. This will give you just enough disconnection from the world for your mind to relax. The second area to pay extra attention to is where you pay your attention. This advice is an important one regardless of your line of work. One of the best ways to learn how to focus on what you're thinking is meditation. A common misconception about meditation is that it helps you to empty and have no thoughts on your mind. In reality, it teaches you to pay attention to what you're thinking about, to realize the early signs of when you get angry or upset. If you want to start meditation, there are amazing apps out there, from totally free ones like Medito to paid ones like Headspace. If you want something with a more philosophical element to it, check Waking Up by Sam Harris. Another way is to have a diary. Five minutes morning journals are a great tool to reflect on what's going on. A much simpler way is to have a look at the music you're listening to. Your current favorites might reflect your inner state. So, how is paying attention helps us keep going? Well, sometimes you wouldn't be in a mood for working, or you seem to struggle to come up with something. 
A small reflection and you can remember how you started your day by checking your phone and seeing that it's going to be 46 Celsius today and you have just been dreading it since then. Now, with both the ordinary and the extra attention out of the way, we get the extraordinary. The best example and one of the most amazing projects in my eyes is Newspaper Blackout by Austin himself. It's a book of poems that are made entirely from newspapers. He would take a newspaper article, highlight some interesting words, make a linkage that connects them, and black out the rest. All of his books are filled with blackouts that contain some golden nuggets. I'll make a newspaper blackout in honors of this episode, and you should try it too. Send me yours over Instagram or Twitter at TLDRshow. Now, our next tip to keep going is to quit. The following line from the book explains it very well. If making your art is adding net misery to the world, walk away and do something else. Find something else to do with your time. Something that makes you and the people around you feel more alive. It's true that we have been talking about how important the work is and how to fight resistance. However, what really matters is you being a decent human throughout your journey. In the end, as Austin says, art is for life, not the other way around. The same can be said about our other struggles. We rationalize our lack of taking care of ourselves or our families in the name of pushing our careers forward. This may be a bit contradicting considering that, for the past three episodes, all I have been saying is work, work, work. But it's a delicate and fine act of balance. In the TED Talk by Robert Waldinger, which is titled, What Makes a Good Life? Lessons from the Longest Study on Happiness. This study is done by Harvard and ran for more than 75 years, following the lives of 724 men. They tracked them from their teenage days till now, following their ups and downs. The critical finding is that the single most determining factor for a long, healthy, and happy life is the quality of relationships around us. It wasn't how much money they made in a year, their diet or exercise, or even whether they smoke or not. So, if your work is making you and your loved ones suffer, maybe it's time for a change. As always, I'll link to the TED Talk in the show notes. Now, our seventh tip takes us back to the weapons of influence of episode 2. To be more specific, the weapon of commitment and consistency. There, we talked about how small commitments can result in long-lasting consistency. The tip here is that you are allowed to change your mind. There are a few points to discuss here. The first is beautifully summarized in a quote by F. Scott Fitzgerald, the American novelist who said, The test of a first-rate intelligence is the ability to hold two opposite ideas in the mind at the same time, and still retain the ability to function. One should, for example, be able to see that things are hopeless and yet be determined to make them otherwise. So, Don't be a slave to your existing values, ways of work, tools, programs, or even favorite restaurants. Add a bit of chaos sometimes. Challenge your principles. Use a new program or try a new restaurant. There is a YouTube video by Andrew Scott, the Irish actor of Jim Moriarty in the BBC series Sherlock. The video is titled Choose One of Five. 
and it walks you through five choices of modes of thinking, from shutting yourself off and not thinking at all to complete freedom. I highly, highly recommend watching it, and Scott's performance is outstanding. Now, how can you ensure that you don't just fall into the trap of having the same mindset? Well, one way is for you to hang around with like-hearted people, not like-minded ones, which is in my opinion a great rule for choosing your partner as well. Let me explain. Like-minded people are ones that share similar interests, music taste, political view, and watch the same movies as well. The thing is that, after a while, it gets extremely boring, and nobody really disagrees with anyone else. On the other hand, like-hearted ones are the ones that share similar values to you. They could be kind, caring, and thoughtful. But they don't watch friends with you, or maybe they don't listen to your hip-hop and rap music. Sometimes they will challenge your opinions or ideas. And this is great, since they will share their own point of view and you get to hear a different one. Now, our next tip has three levels to it. It's simple. When in doubt, tidy up. Let's explore the three levels. The first level is tidying up your physical world. I'm not calling for you to have everything lined up and perfectly fit in place. But your work and bliss station should have two characteristics when it comes to organization. One is to keep your tools tidy. By tidy, it means you won't waste time looking around for them. Two is to keep your material messy. Here, Austin wants you to have your physical material, whether it's books, notebooks, pictures, sticky notes, or some random scribble laid around you. The idea is that this engineered mess will induce connections and new ideas as you go around exploring and looking for a piece of paper. These are Austin's rules, and as always, make it fit for you. Our second level is tidying up your inner world using the magic of sleeping and napping. Sleeping is a great tool to organize your thoughts and ideas. When you let your mind flow freely, some magic can happen. So, use it strategically. Are you stuck and can't solve a problem? Have a quick nap or leave it for tomorrow. Even if you are at the office, when you can, take a 10 minutes break, close your eyes and put your headphones. Our third level of tidying up is to leave things better than you found them. Instead of aiming for leaving a huge mark or making a dent in the universe, aiming to leave the world just a bit better than you found it is a much attainable and sustainable goal for you. So keep these levels in mind as you go on with your journey. Our next tip, which I also took as a personal motto of mine, is that demons hate fresh air. I'll leave you with a quote by Vivian Gornick the American writer. She said, I set out to dispel daily depression. Every afternoon I get low-spirited. And one day I discovered the walk. I set myself a destination and then things happen in the street. So go out on a walk. Explore the world. Put your phone on airplane mode. Capture any thoughts that you get. And remember, demons hate fresh air. Our last tip is to plant your garden. If not in the literal sense, at least you should understand this. Life, and creativity for that matter, has seasons. It sometimes needs harsh days before blossoming. It will have sunny days, rainy ones, stormy days, and heavenly ones. 
George Carlin, the American comedian, said, It's the American view that everything has to keep climbing. Productivity, profits, and even comedy. We made no time to contract before another expansion. No time to grow up. No time to learn from your mistakes. But that notion goes against nature, which is cyclical. So, pay attention to your seasons. Use your winters to reflect on yourself, and the springs to pour out your work. And always remember this. This too shall pass. Whether it's your best day or your worst ones, they shall all pass. To wrap things up, today we went through the 10 tips that can help us keep going. From controlling our day using routines and lists, building our bliss station, to the magical equation, ordinary plus extra attention equals the extraordinary. We went on to explore a different kind of magic, the magic of tidying up our three levels, our physical, inner, and the world around us. We also talked about how important it is not to be stubborn and be willing to change. And when we are having bad days, to remember, this too shall pass. Now, this is the last episode of our second series on creativity. To summarize it, I'll do a quick restructure of these books and show you how do they connect in my mind. The first key idea is resistance. We needed to know what it is, the characteristics and the symptoms. After defining the enemy, we need to start building a better foundation for ourselves before the journey. So, we move to steal like an artist. We learned about how we can start our work, by copying. We also got to know the fuel for quality output, curiosity, great mentors, books, and quality people. As we are copying and putting work out into the world, we lose few battles to resistance. But one day, evolution happens. We turn pro. We become patient, stoic, and realistic. We get to see resistance for what it is, and we understand the lessons from Steel Like an Artist. So, we move to show your work. We expand our work beyond the final product, to include the whole process. We have our boxing lesson, and avoid becoming a human spam or a vampire. Now that we're set, we start the journey beyond resistance. We get to know our allies, the angels and the mooses. And today, Austin gave us 10 tips as a parting gift to help us in our journey. Throughout the series, I sprinkled some new concepts that I hope you checked out, from the four types of luck, the flywheel, the hedgehog, fear setting, the agile framework, and the rest of the good stuff. Now, I would love to hear from you. What's your top takeaway from this series? Have you used any of the tips here? Did you talk to your friends about any of these ideas? Send me your thoughts on Twitter or Instagram at TLDRshow. As always, make sure to check the website at tldr-show.com for the show notes, episode transcript, links to social media, and the extra good stuff. Till next time, be curious, be critical. 